0: Hello, welcome to the Travel Leader podcast. Today, I am with Michael Maxwell from Blue Orbit Consulting. I'm really excited to have him because we've worked together uh, before a number of years ago when he helped get our restaurant out of the weeds. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the introduction. Um, It's uh, a Great to be working with you again and doing this podcast. We're,
0: yeah, yeah. Tell, so tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Um, I have been in the restaurant business for a very, very, very long time, and uh, have been a partner and vice president of operations with the uh, consulting company for probably about 14 years now. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. Our primary um, functions are to help people who have a restaurant or a hotel that's in trouble or if uh, we have a client that wants to create something brand new we'll jump in and help them with concept development and hold their hand through opening day.
0: That's great yeah well that was kind of the position we were in I mean it wasn't dire but we we needed a little bit of help and it, it's been it was great um, working with you. So, you know, what, ha- what attracted you to working in restaurants and hospitality in the first place?
1: Uh, that's a big question, which I'll try not to take up the whole podcast with that answer. Yeah. But, um, I was in school in college to, uh, and, uh, with a political science major planning to go to law school and working my way, uh, through school working in restaurants part time. And when I finally got my degree and realized that I didn't want to do what I had originally set out to do, um, my manager at the time said, you know, you're really good at what you do here in the restaurants. And so why don't you just uh, apply for management with us? And I started out as a kitchen manager with that company and just through the years did a little bit of everything and, and just, couldn't get it out of my blood. It's fun. It's exciting, and you get to meet the greatest people. I think.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. I didn't realize. I don't know if we ever talked about that. I also was a political science major really? and had ambitions to go to law school. So <laughs> that, great. yeah, but also end up ended up somewhere full circle back in hospitality. It has that uh, impact on you, I think, for sure. Um, but speaking of which, you know, what specifically is the kind of impact that you have and want to create in this industry?
1: It's a great question. Um, I think honestly, uh, what I really want to do more than anything is just make people's lives better, uh, whether it's the guests that we encounter every day and realizing that, uh, they're putting a lot of trust in us just to make sure they have a wonderful experience, um, as well as the people that we hire um, or or even our managers, even ourselves. It's all about uh, caring, making a difference. And we're in a venue that allows us to do that very easily.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I also noticed that in uh, in our relationship together that it felt like a big warm bear hug. Um, <laughs> so, and I think we shared some bear hugs too. Absolutely. Um, you know, so that that yeah, I can see that as a theme uh, for you in spreading the love and the care in the industry, and that's so much what hospitality is about, right? Mm-hmm. For sure so how would other people describe you as a leader
1: well i try not to get to dwell on the same mushiness but i think if anyone who had ever worked with me were to ask to describe me their answer would be um the best dad ever um there's a mm. i think there's a tremendous amount of parenting um on all levels in uh, industry in general and whether no matter whether it's blue collar, white collar, I, I think the ability to um, to look at everyone on your team and get to know them and understand what motivates them and uh, celebrate their successes and show them the dis- disappointed face when they do bad things. It's mm. um, it's really it's really my leadership style is I just it's a very personal it's very empathetic. Uh, it's also um I I guess regimented is a good way to describe it because people do have goals and they are held accountable
0: yes I remember a specific tactic you shared with us which was that if yeah someone was doing that naughty thing that you should just go stand in the kitchen you know like in you know with your feet shoulder length apart and then cross your arms and just stand there and be quiet and don't say anything (laughs) because most likely the person will know exactly what they've done
1: (laughs) yes absolutely
0: i'm not sure if we ever have pulled off that tactic because it (laughs) always makes me feel a little bit anxious but um but i have so much appreciation for someone like you who just carries that gravitas that can do can do that but also do it in a way that they still know that you care about them even if you're you know kind of putting them in your place absolutely um, so how do you think that has made you more of an effective leader
1: um I think in so many organizations, there's, there are very defined levels and, um, and the rules level by level, which is necessary. There has to be a chain of command, but in some ways that puts insulation between the person with the problem and the person who can actually solve the problem. And so I think the way I manage and the way I lead people is to break down those walls as much as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I may not always be the person with the answer. um, So it may be, you know, skirt my uh, authority completely and go to someone else. That's fine. It's just, let's create these paths of least resistance. um, And so that So, And I think when you treat people like human beings, and you have open and honest communication, everyone feels comfortable to make those kind of empowering decisions to go to the source first and save time.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it sounded like, that, you know, your ability to connect with people opens up those lines of communication. And that's where problems really get resolved, right? Um, it's often in the non-communication or the miscommunication that you know things things don't don't happen.
1: A long uh, a long time ago, I read the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and while most of the book I snoozed through, there is one habit called "Seek First to Understand, Then to Be Understood" mm. that I live by because um, people's perception of what is really happening versus what you think is really happening can be completely different. And unless you know where someone has come from, coming from, you don't have any chance of making a point. And, and so listening and really taking that first step to understand how something got to the place that it is, is more important than getting to the solution.
0: Yes, absolutely absolutely. I have learned that the hard way. I mean, so much in my first years of running our hotel, something would happen, and I would make an assumption about how it happened, or you know, that they did it something, you know, almost maliciously or purposely. And I would then I would say almost eight out of ten times find out that my assumption was completely wrong and that I had jumped all over them for no reason, or that there was a justification or something of the sort. Um, So yeah, seeking to understand first is so critical. Um, And you know, that was actually, that was the first business book I think that I ever read. And it, it was, you know, probably 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, there is there are definitely some golden nuggets of information Absolutely. in that, for sure. So it's kind of going back to, you know, even before you got into hospitality, was there ever a moment where you felt like a leader? And what was that?
1: I don't know if there was an actual moment. Um, I think there's a time in my life where I figured it out and it was pretty early. It was in high school. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but my friends what it really meant, but my friends called me a click hopper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've Never play, heard I, that one. I played, um, I played basketball. So I was a sports guy, and, but at the same time I was in theater productions and i took agriculture classes and i was president of the beta club and i ate lunch with the nerds and um i sort of knew everybody in different cliques and areas and so when i would find that people kept putting me in charge of projects because i had a better understanding of who were the best players to get the job done, because we had to pull from so many different areas. And so, if uh, you know, if we we're like trying to figure out how to do a charitable project for the entire school and how to market it and how to get participation and how to find the right charity, there were people in all sorts of different areas around the school that had those capabilities. But I seemed to be the only person who knew who those people were. Um, uh, right. and, and so I found that to me, that's kind of what I do today, which is look at the puzzle and figure out what are the best pieces to put together to make something happen. And I think probably by my junior year in high school, I thought, wow, I'm just, guess I'm just going to be the guy in charge.
0: Wow. So yeah, so it sounds like you, you know, first you have that relationship building, um, ability and then you knew how to connect the dots to make things happen um that's that's great um yeah I've I'm finding that in these conversations a lot of people it really started somewhere in their school age time that they identified themselves as a leader or had these kinds of stories um of in examples like that which I, I didn't expect uh when starting this episode I you know, I thought there would be more of a variance of, of how it happened, but it's very common so far been these moments in in school school as a child. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, so is there a moment in your career that you can remember underestimating yourself?
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, I took you way back to high school. Now the next one is actually fairly recent. and um, it was really about the time of my fiftieth birthday, and for the first time in my career, um, I found myself unemployed and unable to get a job, and turning fifty all at the same time. I, um, I had been. That's running. pretty. Uh,
0: that kind of wakes you up a little bit. <laughs> it does
1: because you know the whole year of forty nine. You think, wow, life's coming to an end now. And you you psych yourself up for it. And then the month before the birthday to lose your job, I was running a very upscale uh, restaurant that was dependent on uh, expense accounts. We were doing $100,000 a week in sales, but all all corporate money. And the economy crashed in like 2007. And that restaurant just tanked immediately. And because everything was was basically a standstill there weren't other jobs Um, and so I woke up on the morning of my 50th birthday and thought well time to go to the home Uh, (laughs) and And then uh, what happened and then you know it doesn't take me long to uh, two days later I'm like well this is the craziest thing that you've ever done it's like just get back out there and and stay busy, and things will come to you, which has always been sort of my way of thinking is that that no matter what, there's always a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you may not understand what it is at first, but if you just keep moving, you'll get there. Um, so I, the only job I could find was um, answering telephones at an internal help desk for at&t and i was helping people get their work their way through internal computer courses when they would try and click and drag something and it wouldn't click and drag they called me to help them
0: oh Um, sounds like fun
1: (laughs) oh it was so much fun for a guy who had been up and running around in restaurants for his entire life (laughs) um but i um I also learned to think about call centers in general, that you're timed, you have a manual, you go to the right page, you read the answer, and you get off the phone as fast as you can and move on to the next customer, whether the solution is actually a solution or not, which made me insane. What I did was take everyone's phone number and name, and after I clocked out at five o'clock, I would call them all back and solve their problems.
0: Oh, well, there that speaks to the caring and empathy inside of you, for sure. Well, and it
1: worked because I um, i met someone who was working for AT&T. Her, her family also owned a winery. And uh, through that relationship of helping her solve her problem, uh, I got involved with her family. They were opening a restaurant in Atlanta
0: and ended oh up gosh. hiring me to
1: be their opening general manager.
0: Oh my gosh. So so, what do you take away as the learning from that specifically?
1: I think um, the big learning, and there are a lot of things that have happened before and after that that have taught me the same thing. I think this was the first time that it just really, it clicked and I understood what was happening. Um, and that is that there's no clear set career path. I mean, we, we make plans and we should right. have right. plans and we follow that path, but it always detours. No matter how well you plan, there are always detours. There are things that happen along the way and, um, you can, you can sit down and give up or you can just keep pushing forward and see where the next road takes you.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like that, um, you know, how it relates to underestimating is that yourself too, is that you had these skills and you had this personality mm-hmm. that, um, would, would attract people and attract the next opportunity. And maybe it didn't feel like that at the time. And the learning from it is that, you know, we have to have a lot more trust in ourselves probably. That's
1: true. Absolutely. Um, Another thing that I think is critical for um, people is the ability to accurately self-evaluate. And I think a lot of times we don't really just stop and take stock of what we're good at and how Mm -hmm. that can apply in a, a lot of different situations.
0: Yes, absolutely. Speaking of self-evaluation, I think one of the things we don't like to to look back upon is our failures, but it's also where I've experienced some of the best learning comes from. What's a failure that you've had that has transformed your leadership?
1: I think think life is full of little failures every day, Mm. Uh, lots of little things that just Creep up on you because uh, you didn't plan well enough, or um, a lot of the things that concern me. Once again, because I am very people focused, is when I underestimate someone else, or when mm-hmm. I don't see something coming that really hurts or damages other people. Um, mm-hmm. Those are fairly normal with me. I mean, I I don't know if we're going to call this a failure, but I think one of the things that's made the biggest recent difference in my life has been uh, everything learned from uh, the COVID shutdown.
0: Uh, yes, it
1: was, it was a failure for a lot of people uh, to have planned their businesses, to be able to get through uh, something like that. And, uh, you know, I thought, The restaurant and hospitality business is coming to an end, or at least a lot of people are losing their businesses, which means my business is going to go away too. No one's going to open new restaurants. No one is going to, uh, anyone who's having problems right now can't afford to hire me to help them out. Right. Um, We, as a company of consultants, we never saw anything like that coming, never planned for it. No, Um, But in the long run, what it did was uh, force me to really take a deep breath and think, wow, there are a lot of things we've been doing wrong in the restaurant business that we've never paid attention to because it's still successful. And we haven't had a giant rainy day. And so uh, we just forever, we've been underpaying our people uh, and Mm -hmm. getting away with it. And, um, and kind of thinking, well, it's what we have to do because our margins are so low. But when we were forced with having to look at it again, you know, we all started to realize there are other ways. And so I think with the biggest thing I, I learned from all of that is that um, maybe the best way to move forward is to um, almost forget the past and every take every new venture as something brand new. Um, There are things that we all know from experience that help us make good decisions. But when it comes to what's gonna be a successful restaurant in the future, um, the world's kind of wide open to us now and there are a lot of different new things that we can try. And so um, I think I've learned to be a lot more experimental. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also think that I've learned to do a lot more research and use a lot more data to make decisions uh, to sort of help us really nail down what's going to go best in a location when we're looking to open something new.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we can so much really. I mean, sometimes, I mean, obviously, from a health standpoint and the tragedy of the pandemic and people losing their lives, you know, no one would want to repeat that willingly again. But for in some ways, for our business, the pandemic was one of the best things that could have happened to us because it really forced us in a way that we never would have imposed upon ourselves to look at things in a fresh light. Right. And what what I think you're saying is that, you know, we need to look at the world like that more moving forward and all the time. You know, looking at it with fresh eyes and and not just relying on those past experiences because they may be completely irrelevant.
1: It's true. It actually it makes it so much more exciting.
0: Yes, and you know, I mean, yeah, from a from an inspiration standpoint, you know, it makes it so much more like, wow, maybe I could do things differently, and you know, we don't have to do what our neighbor is doing, and um. Yeah, the, the possibilities just become, you know, exponential, for sure. Yeah. Is there actually an example of, you know, I mean, we're, we're basically be we're moving beyond the pandemic, and there's a lot of a lot of new development happening around the world I think in the hospitality space. is there an example you can give of that perspective giving something a fresh set of eyes and and in one of your projects?
1: um you know I just got off the phone to kick off a new project uh, so it's the freshest in my mind and it, the conversation started with, um, we uh, they want to build a, a cargo container entertainment center. It has a stage. Uh, there, there the food element is almost like food trucks around uh, the area in um, these cargo containers. And they wanted uh, to add a children's playground to the space, and we're just trying to figure out how to do that. And uh, so the thought process that went into it was let's look at the area first. Should you even have a background? Right, right. Is this an important part of it? Why do you want to add it? And then when we looked at the neighborhood um, and we realized that it's all young families and ha- and there's not a lot of options in the area. And so making something that's good for children is really important and number one I have to tell you honestly throughout the years in the hospitality industry children are usually about number 43 on the list of considerations um, because they don't they don't come with a paycheck and they don't make money to spend but in this particular case all of a sudden it's like you know what this is important number one after the pandemic people are doing more things together as a family they're looking for experiences Um, And this area was just perfect because there was nothing else for families to do with their children around around there. And so the thought process, and it's always collaborative with us and clients, but the way it started to develop was, okay, if we're going to build a playground for children, why don't we build the adult experience first and then let's duplicate it in miniature version for the children. So what we ended up with was not just a playground, but a playground that also had a miniature stage so that we could oh. program uh, book readings and puppet shows. And then if the adults get uh, a bar and food, then the kids get smaller cargo containers and there are healthy snacks and juices. The cups that they wow. can buy and so it is truly a miniature version of the adult experience and so they really now feel like they're going to something that's really fun and that was built just for them uh and yet they're not denied anything originally it felt like we were putting them in a fenced in yard
0: so <laughs> yeah. that they would be
1: away while parents had a good time
0: like a pig pen <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no i i love that because it really i don't know a lot about design thinking it's something that i actually want to to study more but it sounds like you know you're really thinking from the perspective of the little customer and i mean and ultimately you know if if you make the if you make the kids happy you make the parents happy and they're the ones that spend the money um. So that's a yeah. That's a wonderful example of looking at something from fresh eyes. Uh. For sure, I love it. Um. So just kind of switching gears. As leaders, we often have to, you know, whether it's in running a company and choosing which projects to undertake, or maybe you're asked to be on a board or be part of a, a charity foundation or something. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what your thought process is when you decide to undertake uh, either a project or one of those kinds of positions?
1: I can tell you probably in one sentence, the answer and in about 25 sentences, what that really means. (laughs) I mean, in the one sentence is the decision I make is based on, is it the right thing? And is it, but is it the right thing? Is a lot of different things. Is it the right thing for me personally? Does it feel like I'm going to, it's something that will make a difference and has value and is important? But at the same time, is it right for my company? Uh, Are we going to reap a benefit from that as well? Is it the right time to do it? Um, Or will it just distract from more important priorities? is it the right thing for the person who's asking me? Sometimes uh, clients ask us to take on a project and they say, here's what I need you to do. Uh, and when we start asking questions, it's not what they really need at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I guess another part of what I'm really saying is that determining whether or not to take on a project is to understand what's really needed first. And so yes. Uh, good, good questions may be uh, the sole base to making the decisions of what to do when and whether or not to do it.
0: Yes. Sometimes
1: Sometimes I have to look at people and say, I can't help you. Uh, yeah, Occasionally it is that's not my expertise. There's no one on my team who has that expertise. or uh, the timing is right is not right. If we take this on now. We're not gonna be able to devote all the resources that we need. Um, and sometimes it's, you're so far gone, you can't be saved.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I can so speak to that in working with you. Um, and I think that was one of the things where I knew that you guys were gonna be different than other consultants that I had worked with because you really came, you weren't coming with like some cookie cutter solution you were coming with, hey, we need to dive deep first to understand where you're at and ask those questions. And then we can talk about what the solutions are. Um, So I I have a very big appreciation for that, for sure. That's such a, you know, and, and the question you presented, is it the right thing? It's so simple, but how many times do we really just take a moment to ask ourselves those things? I think it's that's golden. I need to use that one for sure. And I think a lot of it too is um it's like in the process of asking that question, like what's actually going through your body and what are you feeling at that moment when you're asking yourself. So it's a little bit of a head and heart heart thing.
1: If you think about it in daily operations in restaurants, hotels, it's almost the opposite. We are trained to make quick decisions with only half the information because yeah. we have to, there are things are coming at us quickly and we have to keep it moving and make the best decision for the time. And so if you work in that atmosphere for a long time, it's difficult to learn to slow down, ask questions, evaluate, and then move.
0: Mm-hmm. So we have to really fight against those. Yeah, we have to kind of unlearn right. a little bit that old behavior and and just take a breath and think yes. about it a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I have been doing with this podcast is each episode, I ask a leader, what is the current challenge they're having? And then the next person um, provides some input on how they might solve that challenge. So your challenge today is that I spoke on my last episode with Evan Kaplan from Gecko Hospitality. He's a, um, a partner at a hospitality recruiting firm. And one of the things that he's been dealing with is, especially in this tight labor market, and, you know, the, the need that we have to really improve the culture of hospitality is really uh, getting through to owners on what needs to happen in terms of, you know, really the commitment to employees' financial, mental, and physical well-being. You work with owners. This is a, I love how these questions seem to <laughs> automatically be perfect for the next person because you work with owners all the time and you have to give them advice all the time that they hopefully follow. So, what has been your strategy to get through to owners?
1: The um, the number one thing I think is just having them sit down in front of you, get them out of their business where there aren't distractions and really address the issue. Um, I think mm-hmm. the labor market for inference, for instance, um, every, you ask any owner, what's the problem with the labor market? And they all tell you, nobody wants to work anymore. They wanna get paid for mm-hmm. nothing. they no one's committed. And so no matter what the problem, when I get that answer, I look at, look them in the face and I'm like, do you really believe that's true? Right. Do you really believe that everybody wants to be unable to pay the rent and unable to put groceries in the refrigerator. Cause that's what not having a job leads to. And no matter how much public assistance there is, not everyone can get it and no one can survive on that alone. So there's got to be more to the problem. And one of the things that you need to understand in fixing a problem is where you've contributed to it. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about why your people really leave. And what what if they told you? Even if you don't believe it, what if they told you? And it's really a process of just having that conversation, and then yeah. and then moving on to well, what's a good solution? I mean, I believe right. the answer to solving uh, labor problems is not a fast one, but it is to be known as the employer of choice. And if the word gets around that you take care of your people and that you pay well and you treat them fairly, and particularly once again in the hospitality industry that you understand that it's the job is probably not their life and that they have kids and they have doctor's appointments and they have times when they can't get babysitters and they just have to, they get called into school in the middle of the day there's no way around it and so while it is an inconvenience for us as employers it is their life and the way it works and to just embrace that and figure out the best way to deal with it instead of continuing to fire and rehire the same person and the same problems all over again
0: right and getting the same result every single time
1: figure out what you're dealing with and it's different everywhere but figure out what you're dealing with um accommodate it get some loyalty in return and it'll come back to you
0: yeah absolutely it, so it's really uh, it's it's almost like you sit them down for a come to jesus moment and face them with the reality and really spell it out for them you know this is the situation this is your role in contributing it to it and but there's hope and this is how we can get out of it together
1: There are plenty of times with owners that I have to look them in the face and say uh, in order for me to work with you and for you to get the results you need to be comfortable hearing that you're the problem
0: yes yes that and it must be really hard to to say those things um to people who are paying your uh your fee Sometimes I can imagine, but you do it very well because I've experienced it. (laughs) Um, But how do you, um, how do you? I mean, it really takes that that you built something with that client. You know, in in order not only to be able to say that, but for it to land. So, what is that that you've created with that client?
1: I think you have to, you have to prove your worth first. And most times the easiest way to prove your worth is to show that you understand their business and what they're going through.
0: Mm. I think
1: so many people who are particularly in the consulting role, role, um, feel like they're hired to come in, deliver the solution, step out. Good luck. Um, yeah. And you, the solution's never going to work if you don't build a relationship and the trust first. And that, and when you can look at someone, because most of their, most of the things that I see, I've lived it myself. So when you can take the time to look at someone and go, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. I, I've spent 16 hours in a restaurant and still had to go home and clean up after my dog. Um, right. Right it's I've been there I know what it's like and I know that you don't want to continue to feel this way
0: yeah well there it comes back to that again that personal connection relationship and empathy for sure yeah to be able to build that
1: makes a difference
0: yeah well thank you for that I will share that with Evan um I think he'll appreciate that for sure so what about you? What is a challenge that you are dealing with in, in your world?
1: you know, it's, it's uh, interesting because I would love to hear the answer uh, that you get from the next contestant. Yeah. But, um, and I think it's a problem that a lot of small business owners have, and that is how to grow my business. And not we have plenty of ideas. But it, when you think about the things you need to grow a business, y- you need something that drives people and drives traffic. You need marketing, you need website updates, you need search engine optimization. Uh, you then need to continue to hire, as you grow the business and determine when's the right place to do that. And then you need the ability and the freedom to train those people once they're in place. Um, and it just, it's this continual cycle of, of drive the business, then try and catch up right, and then drive more business and try and catch up again. And, and most of the time we're doing this where there's maybe two people who are operations, sales, marketing, um, and the HR department all at once. And so I'd like to hear the kinds of creativity people have used to continue to grow their business really and operate it at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. I think that is, I mean, that's the fundamental, you know, challenge for small businesses wanting to grow and expand and and try not to kill themselves in the meantime, right. <laughs> for sure. But that's also what I mean. It's one of the most rewarding, rewarding parts of the job is mm-hmm. you know being an entrepreneur and having those multiple hats. It can be so, um, yeah, inspiring to, and it just feeds you in so many different ways. But. You have to watch out that you don't get overwhelmed for sure. We
1: we find that it's particularly difficult to uh, bring on new consultants. They need understanding of the business, but there's really no training program. Once we bring you on because every client that we deal with is a completely different situation. Right? So you can, we can bring on a new employee and it can be a year before they're really fully contributing.
0: Right, absolutely. Yeah, well that's a great question. I will pass that on to the next person (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Great, Um, so is there anything else today that you would like to tell us about Blue Orbit?
1: Um, I guess the only other thing I'd like to say is that it's, it is a company that's been growing leaps and bounds over the last three years. Um, we are we started as a very small company in Atlanta, and for a few years, all we ever did was Atlanta clients. And now we've moved um, all over the United States. We have a new client in Toronto, so I guess that makes us international now. And wow. um, and I think. One of the reasons that we've been really successful and have grown so quickly is because we never think we're good enough. Uh, uh-huh. We are constantly now reevaluating how we do everything, what our solutions are. When we finish the project, the entire team comes together to talk about what went well and what we could have done better. And so we're I, I think it has allowed us to grow much faster for sure, uh, and to I guess add more value to our yeah. our customers than we ever have in the past.
0: Yeah. So it's really you have this continuous improvement process and and learning, uh almost yeah, like a learning system to be Absolutely. able to to continue that growth and expansion. Well, that's great. Um, You're truly a wonderful partner for any uh, restaurant company. So um, I hope people listening to this will will dig in a little bit more about you guys because you're wonderful. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for being on the Travel Leader podcast today. And um, I will certainly reconnect with you and get you that answer to your challenge. Perfect. Um, And I'll let you know when uh, we get this launched off the ground.
1: Okay, that sounds great.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Michael.
1: Thank you.